Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uesa. And this is Daniel Winter. Hey, Daniel, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Just chilling at home with the kid. A wife is having her first time uh, away, so keep, keep them busy to myself and, you know, playing games mostly. <laughs> the usual. Well, that's, that's excellent. So, no guest today. And we're also going to do a kind of a, a special episode format, I think. But before that, I'm still under the weather. Uh, I think it is allergies, probably, because it's been going on for quite a while now. Yes, same here. A little bit of uh, concrud on my behalf, a little hint there what we're going to talk about. But we, we did say that next episode was going to be talking about the video game Hi-Fi Rush that is still coming. Uh, we just have uh, been a little busy this <laughs> these last couple of weeks, uh, but we did want to record something. Last weekend, we had a little board game convention in our neck of the woods. Yeah, that's right. It was the uh, Terminal City Tabletop Convention, which uh, we had mentioned on a previous episode. It was pretty much the most games I had played in quite a while, so <laughs> I figured there'd be plenty to talk about. Sort of an extended what you've been playing, but with a focus on board games uh, that we we both played. But before that, we probably have some some news and some video game what you've been playing we can talk about as well. Absolutely. What's news to you lately? Yeah, well, it's not really news but there's a topic I wanted to cover. Uh, it's this platform called uh, GeForce Now. So my primary game playing computer died uh, a few months ago. I had a Steam Deck, so it's not a big problem. I can play most games on that. But I didn't have a, a dedicated gaming PC. So I've been eyeing getting a new rig. But it's pretty extreme. Uh, even just video card prices are really, really high. <laughs> much higher than I feel like they used to be. So I was looking at some cloud gaming options. Of course, you and I have tried our hands at cloud gaming with Xbox Game Pass uh, PC version. Well, actually, Xbox Game Cloud is is its own thing, isn't it? It comes free with Ultimate. I don't know, I, I've never actually used it, to be honest. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the expert on, on, on cloud gaming here. It's actually pretty good. Uh, basically, cloud gaming, it's what you might think. If you have a decent enough internet connection, you can play games over... Uh, over just a browser interface or an app interface. For instance, you can play Xbox Series X quality visuals on an Xbox One, for instance, just by using the cloud gaming client, if you so happen to pay for the subscription. And GeForce Now is very much the same, except for PCs. So it might be confusing to some. You might be thinking, oh, well, this is you know just something like Xbox game uh, cloud or netflix i just pay a monthly fee and i gain access to a whack of games right well that's actually not how it is geforce now is like renting a high-end pc that you can access anytime through your existing computer or tablet or phone even it ties into your own game libraries mm, so okay. Yeah, a select number of games, which it's quite a large amount if you take a look at the website. Oh, so it's like a curated list of what's compatible. Yeah, as long as you own it on, uh, thankfully, multiple different platforms. You can uh, Steam is obviously the 800-pound gorilla. Most games will have an Epic Games uh, platform option, and then fewer will have a GOG option there, a GOG.com option. But if you happen to know own the game in that, you can pay a monthly fee, to use a couple of tiers of rigs. And the cool thing about GeForce Now is that anyone can try it for free, up to an hour a day. 
And the only catch is that it's a queue-based system. So kind of like some popular MMOs have. Mm, huh. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like Final like Fantasy XIV. I guess wait for your turn at the, at the computer. Right. But even some digital apps like Final Fantasy XIV had like queues, right? Virtual yes. queues before you could get on a server. And uh, GeForce Now operates like that, the free version. If you pay, which can be as little as, what is it, $10 Canadian a month, you can access the second tier highest performance NVIDIA video cards. And it is just waiting like 30 seconds and then you'll get in a game. Hmm. Uh, and the performance is really, really quite good. It's really solid, uh, supports uh, mouse and keyboard, but it also supports controller. And for me, in my particular case, it's brilliant because oftentimes I want to be playing on a lower powered computer or even on my Steam Deck. So I can play like a high end PC graphics quality game but control it using my steam deck as just a light uh, client the great thing about that is that i don't have to install this giant game either because obviously newer games higher end games have massive install sizes and you can pay a higher fee to have the very best i don't even know what the cards are called right now but the <laughs> ones that just came out the very top tier Titan, it's, it's like more like something or like some big number I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's a bigger number yeah number goes up uh i haven't dipped uh for that yet but i'm really, really enjoying it so is, is there a particular game that you found works well on this surface Lots of games work well, but uh, even, you know, it's funny, like games I own, like Marvel's Midnight Suns. Mm. That's one I've been struggling to, to run on my computer. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It's a bit of a resource hog and, and certainly is on a Steam Deck. Uh, it just barely runs, and I, I found it, it was actually crashing on a few key scenes. Steam will, will make software improvements itself, and so eventually it might run really well. But right now, it just works like a dream through the cloud service you know it's a turn-based game so it's not like i'm really missing anything anyway i don't need twitch controls so uh it's just brilliant for that excellent pretty much any game works really well and if you want it to be on the high settings then all the better yeah, I'm generally not one for chasing graphics my my computer is is chugging along quite a bit now it's as old as I got, it, I picked it up on the launch day of No Man's Sky. Is that a good reference point? Which has been going for quite some time now. It's six, seven years. But the good thing with gaming these days is that as long as you're fine with like say 1080 resolution, there hasn't been a huge uptick in demand. Uh, like like um, the the demand on the on the computer that is. I've not seen it's been a much slower decline compared to my last few rigs put it that way but I, I am at the point now where i need to make the call can i upgrade it all or do i need to start from scratch but that could absolutely delay that choice a little longer yeah for sure i had a okay video card at the time in my last piece gaming pc which i bought years ago it went kaput and the funny thing now is like i'm looking at get, getting a new pc in my price range and to get the same video card, I have to pay as much as I bought back then for the oh. last video card I owned. Not even talking about the latest uh, models. So it's very, very sad. I, I, I don't want to pay that much to have, you know, last, last gen uh, performance. So <laughs> uh, GeForce Now, like I actually even paused it for the last month because I know I'd be playing a bunch of console games and then I'd be going on vacation next month. So... 
I don't feel bad about that. Like I can just have the my account. They add new games every week, so in a couple of months' time, I can re-up a monthly subscription. Between even between ten or twenty dollars a month, it works out to about what two hundred dollars a year. You know, amortize that over a number of years. You know, I, that's like a five-year lifespan for a PC, right? Excellent. Well, maybe I'll check out Midnight Suns on that service and see <laughs> what, it, what it's like actually running without waiting 10 minutes between cutscenes. <laughs> and it's, it's not yeah. a particularly twitchy game either, like in terms of uh, you don't need a lot reflexes or anything as a card game. So yeah. I think that'd be a perfect uh, test case. Exactly. Well, I don't have much news to discuss other than that I'm, I'm tentatively excited on the uh, one-year anniversary of Elden Ring that they've continued to te- they've officially teased that DLC is coming the, the, the very little details in that yet but I'm, I'm I've been looking forward to diving back into that game and furthermore there is a a board game version of Elden Ring coming out I think what was it I think it was kickstarted last year and that that's coming soon I believe I'm I'm, I'm part, I just really want one of the the warrior jars as a mini <laughs> those guys are pretty cute Yes, and I think from the, the same publisher, uh, Steamforged just announced a Sea of Thieves-based board game. Now, sea of Thieves uh, it came out several years, I think it's four or five years old now as well. A game that I always wanted to love. Love the aesthetic and just hanging out with friends on a boat, but just the constant, exo- constant anxiety of it being a, a PvP always-on game. Uh, I, I never could quite get into it properly so maybe the the board game will let me experience that in a little more of a, a controlled environment <laughs> i've been interested in trying out cfes as well but mostly i just get frustrated that with that sort of thing i like to play a game in my own time mm-hmm. well a friend was just telling me that cfes does does have like alliance servers now that i like are completely friendly so maybe i'll check out one of those sometime soon Let's see. In terms of video games, what have I been playing? Uh, I've been a little bit uh, continuing on the Switch kick. So, like I said last time, I was trying out a few uh, new-to-me games there. I actually gave Metroid Dread a little bit of another try. I think I had a lukewarm feeling about it last time, but... Mm -hmm. uh, I played a little bit more and I got a little bit deeper in. And I feel like I'm getting a hang of the, you know, sort of the Emmy, the, the sort of antagonist kind of robo power <laughs> like i don't know bosses. Like, yeah <laughs> yeah they're kind of like the nemesis from resident evil 3 yeah, or something Mr. Like X, that. so yeah <laughs> yeah they're, they're just the big big <clears throat> tough guys uh so i kind of got the hang of avoiding them and sort of the strategy of working around them and i finally got to the point of uh i think you unlock spoiler alert one of the power-ups is a sort of a cloaking shield so I got to that point. So, you know, if you strategically utilize that cloaking field, you don't actually have to run, 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 run to avoid them. You can actually stand in place provided they don't bump into you. And you'll mm, be it does, fine. does so, change the pacing of those sections completely. Yeah, exactly. So basically I gave myself a chance to try it more and I realized it's not nearly so frenetic as I thought it was. So maybe I will continue to play some more in that. Excellent. Yeah, I, I remember bouncing off of that. I, I, it's hard to go back now because I'd be, be completely lost. I, I was just really struggled with the level layout of that game, I think was one of the main issues for me. I'm finding it like really kind of nostalgic. And I do appreciate that the kind of graphical upgrade to some of those cool, what are they, like ancestor race 
sculptures and, and stuff and some of the, you know, retro touches that they have there. So I'm actually enjoying it, but uh, yeah, it's a little intense. So I'll, I'll play it periodically, let's say. Well, speaking of which, I think since our last episode, they just uh, still dropped the remaster of Metroid Prime on Switch. Yeah, that's right. I think it, it was actually out by our, our last episode, but uh, I never really played the Prime series. I guess I wasn't that big into, uh, what was it, GameCube that originally came out? No, not many people were. <laughs> yeah, the little purple little purple lunchbox, uh, as it was <laughs> called by its uh, greatest fans, quote-unquote. Uh, as for what I've been playing, I was surprised to see a game on Xbox Game Pass that I didn't recognize called Wolong Fallen Dynasty, I think. It's one of those adjective noun <laughs> subtitle games. I hadn't heard of this, but on looking into it, realized that it's by, this, by the same developers as one of my favorite games, that is Team Ninja, who made the Neo series most recently. I believe back in the day, they also made... What, what Ninja was the Gaiden. Ninja, Ninja Gaiden, that's the one, which I never played. But Neo is, is one of my favorite more recent uh, franchises, very similar to Dark Souls, but with a huge like Diablo-style loot system. More level-based than a big open world, but also a, a huge granularity in the combat mechanics. Like there was multiple stances and uh, spirits that you could level up and like so many stats. And every every weapon you pick up had five different stats that's adding to and set bonuses and qu- quite a, lo- a high skill ceiling, but I, a lot to enjoy in those games. Uh, so this is... In the, very much in the same vein as Neo, but in the Three Kingdom setting of China, I believe. Uh, well, I'm not particularly familiar with, but I know a lot of games have certainly touched on that, like the D- Dynasty Warriors, I believe, is all about that setting. It does very much play into... It, it assumes you are very familiar with that setting. It just, like, introduces characters like cameos as if you're supposed to, like, point at the screen and, and know exactly who it is. There is no work to introduce who these people are. And Nia was very much the same with historical figures. Uh, you just got to keep up or not care about the story, basically. But, th- yeah, this I'm really having fun with this one because it's, it's more about mobility than Neo. Uh, so I, I believe someone's comparing it to Sekiro, which is the only FromSoft game I've not played in that series. More mobility, you, ju- you can jump around a lot more, and there's a really fascinating stamina bar. In that, well, it's not so much a stamina bar like all of those other Souls-like games. It is, it's more of a like a balance meter. Like your, your quick attacks, you can just use infinitely and will actually fill up a stamina beta to put you into the, into the blue and your heavy attacks will spend that meter and sort of, and put you into the red. Uh, and so you, you it's a real fine tuned balance trying to keep that. It's the point where, you, where you're not going to be staggered, but in theory you can keep attacking infinitely without having, without us running out of a, a stamina bar. So it's much more dynamic in that sense. Uh, are, are you familiar with, with any games in that series at all? I am familiar with the older uh, canon of Team Ninja works. So I played Ninja Gaiden series back in the day on NES. Uh, The Team Ninja, speaking of original Xbox, was uh, a popular series on that generation. I think there was at least two of them, right? There was Team, there was Ninja Gaiden, the remake. It was three or four. There was quite quite a few. And then there was uh, Gaiden, I think. 
and there was there was the new the newest edition was something black. sigma or something like that. I think it was one. Yeah, black was one of the iterations. It's it's kind of yeah. confusing. Yeah, the, that uh, generation Team Ninja was kind of the Soulsborn before Soulsborn, right? Mm. So it's kind of interesting to see them kind of come back to this really like super you know tough as nails action game i would be lying if i said i got into them <laughs> at the time you know me i'm kind of a you know a pussycat when it comes to action games i'm much more of a turn-based I'm game into that. <laughs> enjoyer uh yes yeah i'm trying to keep it pg here <laughs> i i'm not heavy into the intense action games except maybe some fps's uh that's really my wheelhouse but i respect them and I, you know, obviously it's great to see a, a popular game uh, dev come back. So I'm really looking forward to giving it a try. Yeah, I, I will say, just to address the the demon elephant in the room, there is a huge accessibility hurdle at the beginning of this game. I, I, I was killed by the first enemy you come across. <laughs> there, there is a very token gesture towards tutorializing and telling you what you need to do, but it very quickly throws you against a boss that is extremely difficult and took me a few dozen attempts. There is an, an official tutorial that actually takes you to a, like a separate arena to actually practice things. It doesn't even, the game doesn't tell you that there is a tutorial, which like <laughs> the, the sort of people who would need that wouldn't be able to find it. Yes, we're digging into the menus just to find the tutorial. Uh, so definitely go looking for that. And so you, you do have to throw yourself against that, that initial level a little bit. But on the other side of that, the game opens up a lot more, balances out the difficulty, and I've not really had much trouble for the next few levels. So <laughs> I can't really excuse the, like, the difficulty curve. Uh, but it, beyond that, it, it is a very good game. <laughs> Cool. Good to hear. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote unquote a tutorial in Elden Ring, right? It's like the pit. Isn't that yes. right? Right at the beginning yeah, of the game? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't even know it's there except this guy <laughs> sitting at it. Yeah, it's cute. Anything else you've been playing? I'll just talk about one more game. I have been playing uh, a little bit more of, I'll, I'll continue the, the saga of Tales of Symphonia. In 27 hours in, they just keep revealing new characters and i'm caring less and less about them and knowing less and less what's going on in the world so i'm i'm getting a little bit a little bit tired of this game so who knows if i'll continue going forward but you know i've gotten there so far i think the great thing about that game is that it's very very easy to pick up and put down because it's very generous with its saves and it actually has a very forward-thinking feature of having like a synopsis of everything that's going on. So it, it just has like a log and you can read the last few logs and it's even associated with map pinpoints. So it'll just explain hmm. to you again, what you just talked about in the last cutscene, and summarize it and even give you a bullet point of roughly where you need to go. So sometimes you have to puzzle it out, but for the most part you can get on track, even if you've kind of forgot what's going on. So yeah, I, I do, do really appreciate games that, that make that effort to uh, acknowledge that people drop games and come back to them. Uh, like it's, it's something I've struggled with, especially with a lot of the sort of action games like Metroid Dread or I think uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. I struggle with this. Where if you if you drop it for any amount of time, coming back and trying to relearn the mechanics 
a, a, a huge hurdle. Uh, and store goes double so for story in a 100 hour uh, RPG. Uh, so any any way of just reminding you and prompting you uh, is is much appreciated. Yeah, as I recall, another RPG, another recent RPG. Dragon Quest Eleven had that as well, right? When you reload a yes. game, yeah. it gives you a recap of what you just did in the um, in, a, in a text that's right, uh, yes. screen. So yeah, that's that's a good touch. I wish every game did that, no matter the genre. <laughs> just let let's make that happen, people. It's it's about time. Well, speaking of which, I have been playing a little more Xenoblade Chronicles, which I th- which does something similar. There is a, a button you can hit to bring up the story recap. Uh, but I'm, I'm still relatively early, but I am excited to see that it, it's in, it, it includes one of my favorite tropes in video games, the rebuilding a town. Uh, you, you come across a, a city that's being destroyed and you have to like rebuild it bit by bit. And like, I, I, just, I just love the like gradually seeing it expand and grow and new, new people coming in and new stores and... I don't know. It's one of my favorite troops. I think I like uh, Breath of the Wild did that, and uh, but Bug Snacks recently <laughs> surprised me with with with, a, with an excellent version of that. Uh, it's a great way of feeling like you have progress and I- impact on the world around you. Yeah, I think um, what was it Dragon Age Inquisition had that, and also Assassin's Creed Two. Uh, yeah, very yeah, my favorite Assassin's Creed game. That's right. <laughs> yes, there you go. I think it's everyone's favorite Assassin's <laughs> Creed game. To be honest, the last memorable one. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I, last week, last episode, I mentioned I'd, be, I'd been going down the rabbit hole of uh, Oxygen Not Included. I very quickly hit the point where I uninstalled that game. <laughs> so very short rabbit hole. Suffice to say, the hurdles just proved too much and. The granularity of the mechanics, uh, every question answered just raises ten more. So uh, I don't have the time for that. <laughs> but of course, I walked through that rabbit hole and then straight into an MMO in realizing that Elder Scrolls Online is going back to Morrowind, my favorite Elder Scrolls game. So dipping back into that just to get a little bit of that uh, Morrowind nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, MMOs not exactly great for respecting your time, are they? <laughs> no, but I, I at least can multitask, uh, catching up from some of my uh, my YouTube backlog, some Star Trek maybe. <laughs> Got it. Very cool. Well, who am I to judge how you spend your time? <laughs> Glad you gave Oxygen Not Including a try, though. It's it's sitting there. The icon is staring at me. I I really love kind of unraveling those um, those threads and seeing how the pieces work together so uh it's it'll be my it'll be my uh long lost love there (laughs) i'll have an affair with it now and now and again (laughs) okay well shall we get to our featured topic absolutely so what is tctc so it is the Terminal City Tabletop Convention, a little local board game convention in our neck of the woods here. It has been running for eight years, I want to say, just pulling that out of uh, <laughs> out of the air. Uh, but it has not been uh, has has been a physical instance of it since 2019. It took three years off during the the. the pandemic so very glad to see it back they they played it quite safe in terms of of 
the community and they, they continue to do so with like mask mandates, for example. So they're very mindful of the community and, and its safety. So appreciative of that. I am, before I say much too much more, am biased <laughs> in that I am now officially on the organizational team for this convention. I, I joined relatively recently just to help out uh, running the, the registration there. So uh, not that I have, I have like financial stakes in it or anything, but I, I am involved in, in the running of things. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I certainly appreciated seeing you working very hard during the con, you know, bright and early while we we're waiting in line, you were there handing out passes. So that was great to see. And uh, yeah, the organizers could do could could not do much better than ha in having you there. Um, obviously, it takes a lot of lot of uh, people's care and time to put together an event like that. Yeah, well, now, now that I'm starting to travel a little more, I went down to OrcaCon in Seattle last weekend. Sorry, not last week, uh, last couple of months ago. <laughs> I'm starting to experience other conventions and get more perspective and now want to give back a little bit to our own local community. And I, it, it certainly, I, I attended for several years in the past uh, and got a lot out of it. And yeah. Uh, I really want to see it thrive. It's the first year in a new venue, the beautiful R Roundhouse Community Centre. So it's right down the middle downtown in Vancouver here and quite perfectly in a, an old train roundhouse. So the perfect setting for playing some some Ticket to Ride, some Brass Birmingham, I saw quite a lot of. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great venue. Yeah, for sure. I was actually surprised to see it had moved to the roundhouse, but it's all the better for me. It's slightly closer to home. I actually walked there from my home, so that was great to see. I walked along the water, along the ocean there on the seawall, mm. and you know, really got to appreciate living in Vancouver, even though the weather was a little overcast, as it usually <laughs> is this time of year. But yeah, the roundhouse is great, uh, a beautifully restored uh, building. It's very urban and modern with obviously a touch to history there's a big old steam engine actually as part of the community center as a little historical uh, touchstone there as, as well so very cool space. spoilers but we're already looking at options for for renting out that steam in the next year oh wow yeah it, 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 i'd to play some train games there officially but uh, yeah it's um I, I had some friends come to town and it was nice to play to, to be a tourist in my own city we took a, a nice uh ferry ride around the 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 harbor just like a block away from the convention center and it's also like right in the middle of one of the big foodie hubs in in yale town there so lots of things to try which I, I can't say for the previous <laughs> venues i should say yeah i like the old venue too it was very spacious at the what was it the croatian community center yes which yeah. was just off of uh, commercial drive which is another vibrant part of town but yeah the new this new space is obviously great close to transit and right downtown so you really get a taste of vancouver when you yeah especially if you come to visit there Absolutely. And I, like I said, I know a lot of friends did come to town, um, both, both from within Canada and outside. It's, it's, it's a relatively small convention, I will say, but who they, you can't give up the excuse to come visit Vancouver. It, it, what can I say? It's a lovely city. <laughs> yeah. And uh, obviously, the you know the speaking of 800-pound gorillas, the, there is another big con that takes place uh, semi-annually or most years in Vancouver, which is, of course, Shucks. Which Shucks is great, and if you've been to Shucks before, uh, obviously it's going to be different. Shucks is great because it does have a decent focus on uh, playing games as well, and obviously most of the locals will show up. 
but uh, it's it's bigger. It's got a bigger space. It focuses more on what is it like talks and sessions and everything is basically bigger and then the stage is always full with some sort of event going on yeah shucks is a medium-sized convention there are there is some publisher presence there which there isn't any at um at tctc i will say it's it's with some local vendors but mostly it's just space to play a bunch of games yeah, I, I love that about TCTC. Actually, it's it's kind of my ideal con size because I just love playing the games. I like seeing some familiar faces. Hadn't seen them in a while. Uh, it was nice to see them. And uh, I'd actually saw some of the games that uh, you know I had playtested years ago or some of the same faces of designers I had playtested or talked to in the past still there um you know kicking butt showing off their demos <laughs> uh, obviously uh you know our friends like first fish games was showing off their uh, upcoming game what was it called miss Twins. Twins. yeah, yeah that, that game's looking great oh it's stunning and to look at yeah yeah it's starting to look really nice and i saw like two tables going of it uh, obviously the demo tables and they were playing it in the scheduled game playing area as well so you know if you wanted a, a cool sneak peek at an upcoming game which looks great you know that was an excellent opportunity and speaking of new games from local designers a very exciting team uh, hot banana games whose first game steam up hasn't even delivered yet or it's starting uh, to fulfill now? yeah it's, it's fulfilling in the states i'm expecting my notification any day now <laughs> uh, very cool yeah i, I back them as well so i'm super eager for it i'm not watching the clock just yet I, I can wait i can wait for it to come but i'm very excited but they were also showing their new game which is um what is it is it moon is bunnies it's another- i believe moon bunnies so is that like moon cake themed as well yeah collecting ingredients to make moon cakes uh and they are they are going to be squishy moon cakes i should say (laughs) yeah they're they're very big on the squishy components i love that uh i I didn't get a chance to try either of those games just to say uh but i did i did take a look and it's uh, a very cute theme obviously uh and very excited to see what they're coming out with yeah, kudos to both those uh, local designers slash publishers. Uh, they're kicking butt representing us well. And of course, there are other uh, local designers also published and unpublished. So, you know, that's great to see as well. Um, it just kind of invigorates me, you know. It's no surprise to some listeners that I've been a little down on board games or not as intense as I have been in the past, uh, mostly because of, let's be honest, of, of, of COVID, you know. Mm-hmm getting together in bigger groups has been harder just starting to start up at least for me again and and i guess this was kind of another opportunity to try that out so it's great to to refine uh, rediscover some of that joy (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely I'm, i'm definitely on the upswing there well, I, I didn't get to play many games, what it's worth, at the convention. I was pretty occupied at the registration there. Uh, there are, there's a few that I will cover, but you were able to spend most of the weekend just gaming away there. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you played? For sure. I wouldn't say I played a ton. I only was there from basically, you know, nine to five sort of thing uh, most days. Uh, but I, I, I got to try a variety of things, uh, which was nice. On the first day, I got to hung, hang out with my uh, my friend and um, co-designer, actually, in, in a couple of prototypes, Marcel Perot. 
Uh, a great guy. I love that guy. Uh, we started out playing a game of pair of Canadian designers. One half of them local. It's Jay Cormier and Sam Fun Lim. Uh, we played their game Akrotiri, which was there uh, on the library. And neither of us had tried it before. Or actually, I think Marcel had, so he taught me. And it was a surprising brain burner. Have you played Akrotiri? No, it's been on my list for a long time. I, I've heard nothing but great things, and I do love a, a little brain-burning tile-laying game. Yeah, and it is it is just that. It is similar to Carcassonne in the way that you're just putting down one tile, one tile per turn, and that's nice and easy. But the player interaction is a lot more involved, let's just say, than Carcassonne <laughs> is. There's a little bit more going on. So if you like the feel of Carcassonne, but wish it had a little bit more meat on the bones, I would suggest giving Akrotiria a try, which I know that's easier said than done. <laughs> I think it's out of print, to my understanding. I do have a couple been... of friends with it, so I can definitely track it down. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been yeah. on my list for a while. Yeah, and I think uh, you know, there's at least been some talk about maybe, just maybe, those guys are shopping it around. Hmm. Maybe it'll find another publisher and another printing. It, it is I two just, players only, right? It is two players only. Yeah. But um, I've also heard that those guys, Jay Cormier, had said that you know originally they had thought of it as a bigger game, more than two players. Hmm. So it would be a very intensive game, but maybe they already have plans in the works to make it a, a, a two, three, four player game. Uh, and you know, it's it's definitely in in the in, uh, got a buzz around it because it was featured in a feature film recently. Yes, <laughs> according, yeah, yes, according to um, Facebook, I learned that there's a Hallmark Hallmark brand romantic comedy about board game designers what's game a, what's of the love of that I or something i think it's called games that, game, games game of, of love, love? I, I remember it's, it's two like board game designers uh as you'd expect falling in love <laughs> also what one's a one's a designer one's a marketer i think but uh yeah i i as with a lot of hallmark movies i believe filmed here in vancouver and they uh used Jay to as a, as a bit of a consultant and a lot of uh, his games appear throughout the movie. Yeah, such a cool point to see that it's not just uh, you know board game animes now there's uh, board game design uh, rom- uh, romantic comedies <laughs> and uh, all the cooler to see it shot locally and with some cool games that uh, we've known and played. I really enjoyed my time playing Akrotiri there. Excellent. I think the second game I played was what is the series? Um, do you know the one Valeria? Oh, Valeria, it's, yeah, yeah, um, Daily Magic Games, and it's, games I know there's series. many Valeria games. Yeah, so this one was called Valeria Card Kingdoms. Right, I think it was Marcel the original, said, I believe. Right, yeah, Marcel said that that was the original, mm-hmm. and it's a really actually cute game. I actually, funny enough, I played it twice during the con someone wanted to learn it the second day and and i uh, i happened to teach them because it was fresh in my memory <laughs> yeah exactly you know what it reminds me a lot of uh something like machikoro uh-huh. or even space base i guess uh no dennis and i talked about that yes <laughs> yes dennis and i talked about it in the one episode that you were out Oh, oh, shout out to Dennis as well. Dennis Ryan. The was, organizer uh, at TCTC. <laughs> yeah, the organizer and also ran um, the Catan competition, I believe. Yes, yeah, and, a, and a pub quiz. Tournament. 
Yes, yeah, he's very active. Uh, obviously, a great guy and a, a, a former a co a guest host of this very podcast. Long story short, we played Valeria Card Kingdom. It has that mechanism, just like Catan or Machikoro, where you roll two dice and you see what the results are, and based on the results, everyone gets uh, hmm. a, a boon, a benefit. Uh, the person who rolls the dice gets a special benefit, just like Space Base does. The person who rolls the dice gets their own special uh-huh. benefit, which is tends to be a little bit more than the rest of the people do. And unlike those other games, uh, you don't only take the first result and the second result, or you add them together. You take the first result, the second round, result, and you add them together. <laughs> Revolutionary. So, uh, yeah, as a result, <laughs> a lot of a lot of numbers come up every single turn every that anyone rolls the dice. So it keeps people engaged. It plays relatively quick. I think both games I played were around 30, 40 minutes. And uh, of course, you know, my strategy was to do a widespread uh, of the numbers. That's generally what you want to do to hit most of the results. But you can go deeper as well because basically you're buying cards that match the results. And every time that result hits, you get more of the results. So very much, you know, uh, a light, breezy, uh, kind of slot machine feel to it. Very mm-hmm. engaging. Uh, no, I wouldn't call it a party game, but, you know, definitely like with a mixed group of like more, uh, more you know, seasoned gamers and <laughs> even maybe even some younger gamers are new to the gaming hobby. People might enjoy the, the, the sort of slot machine feel of it. Excellent. I, I think I might have actually played that one years ago, but I, I there are too many Valeria games out now. <laughs> I, I can't keep track of which is which. Right, and that game apparently has a bunch of uh, expansions to it as well. Yes. So yeah. it's cute. It's it. I don't think it's it's gonna win any game of the year awards or anything like that. But uh, I, I liked it as a very easy to play, uh, engaging little game. Excellent. Well, I, I think uh, one of the next games is likely to come up is one that I played with you, uh, and that is Deep Dive. Currently on Kickstarter, as we speak, along with Point City, it's a bit of a double feature from Flatout Games, one of our favorite designers from here in the Pacific Northwest. I, I, I took those, I, I, I have uh, pro- prototypes of those games that, that I took along to sort of demo for a few people who may be interested to in, in backing it so we played a game of deep dive uh, a little push your luck game akin to something like deep sea adventure is what comes to mind for me if, if flipping tiles that is either going to have food on it or predators you, you are penguins i should say <laughs> very adorable little penguin meeples uh very, very light accessible family friendly game that without too high stakes uh, there there are pros and cons to to what tile you flip up but there there tends to be some a bit of uh, consolation even if you if you or your penguins get eaten so uh what, what did you think of deep dive it looks really cute it's got you know kind of uh I wouldn't say juvenile, but it has a very like youth friendly, youthful kind of storybook look to it, which I like the artwork of there. It's this very calming blue uh, pattern, uh, but it has these nice primary colored uh, sea life on them. And then the meeples are really cute. I think they're all penguins, as I recall, of different shapes. So uh, kudos to that there. Uh, I would say other than the setup, which was a little bit fiddly because of all the tiles of which there are. I don't know, a few dozen tiles. Especially at lower player counts where you have to like count out 
X number of tiles from each of the five pools. Uh, it can be quite a lot of setup, but I love play accounts. Yeah, I find that with with flat out games is I love all their games. Obviously, they've had so much su- success, but their setup can be a little bit fiddly depending on the number of players you have. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, if you play with the same number of people every time, like in a household setting, you'll get used to how many uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 So that wasn't even that hard. We, we, we took a moment to set it up. And then after that, it was a super breeze. The turns are like so fast. You just have to, what is it? It's, it's sort of a kind of a little bit like a pusher luck, right? Yeah. You, you flip a tile in the top pool. And if you get food, you can either decide to take that or push your luck and go one step deeper and slightly escalating number of points, but also more chance of getting predators the deeper you go. So it's, it's very little agency. It's just a matter of, of how much do you want to push your luck in a very uh, straightforward manner, but it, it's a great sort of introductory game. Uh, it plays up to six. So it can play. So it's great for large families. And I think that's where it's really going to shine. We have a large group of people just all getting quite engaged in, in who, <laughs> whether you get eaten or not, basically uh, because the turns are so quick. It's, they sort of it, um, can, can go, go around the table pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I would solidly recommend it for a family setting or, or players with young family. Uh, like I said on a social media post uh, that I, I put up, it's cute, casual fun. I would say that it's it's probably not for super seasoned uh, board game players. No, no. But, uh, you know, lots of us do have uh, families, so it's a great, uh, great for that. Yeah. Um, great activity. I, I mentioned Deep Sea Adventure, which I found an interesting point of comparison in that it is a very punishing game. That's it's similarly push your luck. You're trying, you go, you, you, you yeah, I, guess, I think you're flipping tiles in that one, but you're going down this sort of chain of tiles and you have to grab a treasure and then get back up. And if you don't get back to the surface, you just die. It's like, it's one all or nothing moment in that game. Whereas deep dive is a lot of little moments. It's never as punishing as, as just dying. You might, you, you lose a penguin, but if you lose all three, then you get a bit of a consolation and then they all come back somehow. <laughs> so it, it isn't as punishing, but at the same time, I've, I've heard other people have said that they, they want a little more friction at the same time. It's something like, tipsy adventure so it, it, it really matters on, onto the group i think and how much uh tension and friction they're looking for uh like i think there was that rock mechanism as well that was another avenue you could choose is you can take a rock or you can swallow a rock i don't know why a rock gives you this magical power i, I believe penguins actually do that <laughs> a little bit, a little oh, bit science nice. in helps <laughs> their digestion i guess so uh-huh. you you eat a rock and then somehow next turn you can turn that rock in for you, you can skip any of the pools and start at a, at a lower pool basically. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, so I, I put quick personal plug. I should say I do have an overview of this game and a little a little feast. Uh, I don't plug my 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 feast content too much, but I make make little uh, edible dishes to, to pair with with games, and I, I have one of those for deep dive up on my my channels right now. So if you want to know a little bit more or just see some some tasty food, <laughs> go check that out. You know what, Daniel? You have my permission. Please, please promote yourself. <laughs> There's no shame. This is your podcast platform too, so do promote your stuff. Uh, there's no problem with that. Yeah. So I guess uh, all this time, Marcel and I were, were chatting about game design because we had done, uh, <laughs> game design stuff together. Actually, I was reminded a little bit of a game we talked about called Ink and Gold, which mm-hmm. has uh, that 
push your luck mechanism to it. We didn't play yeah. it, but I was explaining to Marcel uh, how it worked, and it, it is a f- fantastic example of push your luck. Uh, we got on the topic of roll and rights and how I don't really love deep, heavy roll and rights, but hopefully he doesn't mind me giving this away. But he had <laughs> thought about working on a roll and write. So we, I pulled a game off the shelf, and it's called dinosaur island roar and right uh-huh. do you know this title uh i i know of it i've, I've not tried that or any or it's a predecessor but uh, i i do appreciate a good, a good punny title yeah it's from pandasaurus games and uh like their half of their name implies it's about dinosaurs and i actually played the uh original dinosaur island i think once or twice and i i actually really like it i i like that gaudy art style very retro 80s aesthetic (laughs) yeah and i like the theme as well obviously it's jurassic park but even like less edgy and more goofy so i like that it's it's always the wink wink nudge nudge uh don't (laughs) mind that guy getting chomped over there by the velociraptor uh dialed up to the max and basically i would say from my rough memory that dinosaur island roar and right captures everything that the main game does but like 30 percent less it's a it's a more bite-sized approachable version and that said it took us a few goes it took us a while to get through the first round but once we got that going the subsequent rounds were easier and easier essentially it's a roll and right with a lot of hooks and mechanisms into it and it's a decently strategic moderate length game experience in a roll and write form i might actually have to reconsider my aversion to longer roll and writes <laughs> because this might be just about ideal it's on the upper edge of what i want to play in a roll and write excellent i i do, I do have a very similar game called welcome to dino world i believe which similarly is is your it's a roll and write about making a dinosaur park i'm I'm not sure what the uh mechanical similarity is there but it it is an extremely captivating theme like drawing your your little dinosaur park um i I have the the original dinosaur island game that i've not had a chance to try yet i really like the original dinosaur island i'd play it anytime so i'm happy to play that with you if you wanted to uh, give it a shot but um yeah that was that subject matter was in vogue for a while i think there was tiny epic dinosaurs yeah and that one i actually tried that one uh and found it I know it just it just it was trying too much to be one of those big games, and then it just makes me want the the full experience. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it, was, it wasn't Island. really condensing it down in an interesting way. Yeah, Dinosaur Island definitely is the full version, and um, it's got those awesome chunky custom dice. Yes. And so does Roar and Right. So I was very pleased to see that there. It's a really tiny microscopic uh, dice draft that's involved and we only played with two players but i imagine it could go relatively fast with more players as well you draft those dice and you gain the benefits of the dice and then everyone gains the benefit of the die that remains and then later on you can allocate those dice as if they are workers to do a tiny bit of worker placement interestingly enough the dice that you keep from the ones you drafted can be utilized in certain spaces to sort of multiply the results so i thought that was really clever it made you think 
in in multiple ways about what you're doing with your dice, which which ones to retain to multiply the actual dice faces. I don't think think I've seen dice allocation used in exactly that way before. So that was very cool. Excellent. Yeah, I'll have to check that out sometime. Yeah. How about yourself? Were there uh, any other titles that came to mind? Uh, there was only one other big game I, I had the chance to play on the first day, at least. I was storing the halls during my, my limited spare time and happened across uh, some acquaintances. That is uh, Mr. Rao and Norm from Cardboard Conjecture. They're a couple of um, streamers, podcasters from over Saskatchewan way that had come out here for the first time. And along with uh, Brendo, a friend of uh, Boards Alive podcast from up in Kelowna. Uh, so I, I found them about to set up a game of a- Antique or Antique, a, a very old school civilization game. I think it was from the 90s or, so, or something, or 2000, early 2000s perhaps. But a yeah, very beige Euro <laughs> civilization game uh, in, the, in the Mediterranean. But we had a full six players. I, I, I managed to nab the last spot uh, and, and, and give it a try. It was. It was Really fascinating use of uh, a rondelle to, to select your actions, which kept things moving. Uh, the turns were pretty quick. Uh, it is a very military heavy game for, uh, as far as Civ games go, it was mostly about building up forces and, and using those to, to take over each other's cities, but pretty streamlined. We did get a few rules wrong, which I think would, would uh, change up the tempo. It, we did come to something of a stalemate in, in how quickly forces were getting out there. So I think playing with the proper rules would, would help change that pacing a bit. But uh, yeah, some fascinating, uh, fascinating use of the rondelle to, to select actions and bounce off each, bounce off of each other there. So I, I'm in quite the mood for uh, civilization games. I've actually picked up a couple in the last uh, couple of weeks that I'll be talking more about soon, I imagine. I enjoy civilization building games, or I, I did enjoy civilization building games in the past, especially in computer form. I haven't really found a good one in board game form though so maybe you and i will have to tackle that subject sometime in the future absolutely let's do it <laughs> yeah cool Antica. yeah that's interesting i haven't played it but uh, i also played an older game later on on the second day which i'll talk about in a moment uh that that about covered it for my first day and i already said what i started my second day with which was a little bit more of valeria card kingdoms by daily magic games I think my second game of that day, of the second day, was uh, Libertalia, mm-hmm. the new edition by oh, yes. Stonemaier. So, Win- Winds of Gale Crest, I, get, I think, some some long <laughs> subtitle oh, yeah. there. I have no idea what the theming is, other than it's still pirates, or uh, I guess high seas now adventures, if you want to call them that. <laughs> but yeah. They are animal pirates. They're not just crusty old white people anymore. (laughs) Uh, So that's nice to see from the newer edition. The the art is certainly, uh, you know, whimsical and serviceable and uh, unique uh, portraits for every one of the 40 or something pirates. So that's very cool as well. So I played the first edition a while back, maybe just once or twice. Oh, I'm laughing right now. The uh, Instagram post I, I, I posted of playing this game. It converted Libertalia into Libertarian. I, I did so, see that, yes. Sorry, sorry about that. One, one, one letter away. Yeah, auto, autocorrect, yeah. Thank you, autocorrect. Uh, but this edition, um, I actually really disliked Libertalia the first time huh. I played it. 
I think I just didn't get the rhythm of it. And it's such a rhythm based game because it's mm-hmm. sort of sort of like the tides. Sort of like the sands of time, it ebbs and flows. <laughs> uh, it it literally goes in and out. So there's like a, what is it? Like a day cycle and then uh, a dusk. And then there's like a nighttime cycle even or something like that. I don't know. There's, there's an explanation for it. But basically, everyone selects one of their starting pirate cards, of which everyone has the same pirates but that set of pirates is randomly chosen at the beginning of the game so someone randomly draws cards and then everyone copies that hand so basically you're you're kind of playing with player order and you're utilizing the player abilities and also trying to judge what the other players are are going to do so mm, sort of thematically like counting trying to remember who's played which card you all because we yeah. all, you all have the same cards yeah it's kind of like three-dimensional citadels uh <laughs> citadels is a game i've played many many times back in the day and turn order is very important in that and it's very much about reading what the other players will do with a limited set of information and this is kind of like that but with the added dimension that you know what you know seven cards that they have instead of what one card they have mm-hmm. so it's exponentially more difficult in this particular version yeah <laughs> yeah and and basically what you're attempting to do is very simple you're just attempting to get pull off your effect collect some coins possibly and maybe to capture uh, one of these tokens which is available in the center of the board so you know what they are to begin with every round and you you know roughly know what's good and some of them are good and some of them are bad and some of them are situationally good or bad i, I guess i didn't really understand it the first time i played the original <laughs> edition and i understood a little bit more by the way the tokens are these really nice sort of thick uh, I don't even know what you would call yeah, them. They're like these, tokens, I think. Yeah, yeah, they're really nice and chunky. They kind of look like starbursts, but except <laughs> shiny. Az- Azul tiles. There you go. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you definitely want to eat them, uh, uh, but don't don't eat them. I'm liter- uh, very seriously warning you not to eat them. But thankfully, this edition has the rules explanation of what those tokens are written right on the board. Which is great, except I was on the other side of the board, so I couldn't quite read that upside down. So half half of a victory there. Uh, anyways, I I grokked the flow of it a little bit better this time, and by the end of it, I was doing okay. I think I came in second place. Excellent. So I have a much brighter uh, view of Libertalia, second edition by Stone Mario Games. Do you have much of a history with Libertalia? I, I do own the original. I, I've only played it once again years ago. I, I do recall having fond memories of it. It's, it's a good one that plays it plays better with a larger group. It goes up to six people, I think. And when you really get those interesting, interesting dynamics, I mean, it's much harder to track who's played what. Obviously, it's six players, but just really embracing the chaos, I guess, the the of the pirate life. <laughs> yeah, it's ironic. It's a it's quite chaotic, like you said, but it's also quite analytical that you can kind of get in, in it almost. Yeah. yeah, but you can you can kind of get in like analysis paralysis because you're trying <laughs> to like logic out other people, but people aren't exactly logical, right? A little bit of bluffing there, I guess, is to like you're try, trying to predict 
what they're predicting you're going to do and so not do that (laughs) yeah and i had the problem of being at the bottom end of the priority order so there's a, a fixed order of i guess it's called reputation and the people that have the reputation generally go first in ties or they definitely go first in ties but everyone isn't a fixed order it's single file so it's zero sum there so if your reputation goes up someone else goes down and unfortunately for the however many rounds there were i was always at the bottom and i moved up a bit and i went straight back down so i i had to fight that reputation order every (laughs) single time but somehow i came in second so maybe it wasn't that bad (laughs) how about you daniel did you play any other games uh, yeah, I, played, I had even less time on the second day, unfortunately. But uh, one game that uh, was definitely the, the sort of feature <laughs> of the convention for me was I, I've had a real itch lately for trick-taking games. And there's one uh, that I've played quite a bit of lately, Vamp on the Batwalk, which is an excellent twist, sort of gimmick on the genre that you're, you you don't look at your own cards. You can only, you can only see everyone else's cards, a little bit like uh, Hanabi. But I, I really wanted to sort of step back and, and look at some more traditional trick-taking games. But the, the the one that everyone has been talking about this last year is Cat in the Box from Bezier Games. And I had seen a couple of people playing it uh, on the first day and have, have heard so much hype that uh, had uh, Rain City Games, the sort of uh, our, our local uh, gaming store who had a, a booth there, they uh, brought in a copy for me on the second day. Uh, so I grabbed that and learned it on the spot. And we, we both played it together uh, with a couple of other people. And yeah, that one left a really strong impression. It's, again, a big gimmick factor that I'll get to in a second, but I was surprised how much of a traditional trick-taking game it is at its core, very much like Hearts. You've got, you've got your four uh, suits or colors in this case, and one, uh, the red the red is Trump suits. Uh, the trick being that all of these cards, at least to look at, don't have a color. They have a number, uh, but no color, at least until you, you fully observe the card. Uh, so playing into the, the, the quantum theory mechanics here, all these cards don't have an identity until you declare them so there's a, gr- a grid in the middle of the table of all of the sort of numbers and suits and when you play a card you declare what suit it is and any so in any card you play you can decide whether it's blue or green or red or so on and re- really it's really hard to describe and wrap your head around but fa- fascinating concepts and it really brings out these these clever dynamics uh in in trying because you're also predicting i should say predicting how many tricks you're going to try and going to try and win and so count trying to count other people at the right time to to grab control it's tough to wrap your head around but the thing i really appreciate is because that tracker is in the middle of the in the middle of the table all the information is right there you're not trying to remember. Oh, has the the King of Hearts been played? Oh, I've seen the I've seen the the Jack and the Queen, but I don't remember the King. All, all the information. You know exactly what cards have and haven't been played. Uh, so you can really focus on the mind games of trying to, try, try to uh, draw out your opponents. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that game was a bit of the 
uh, a buzz at the show. Uh, ironically, I was just texting with Marcel about what games he was playing just before that, and he was playing uh, a full player count game yes. of of cat in a box uh pretty much simultaneously as we were starting our <laughs> game so that was funny i thought to hear it was also my first time playing that game and i'll say that i enjoyed it i i all i knew that it had quite a buzz and that it was a very unconventional uncondi- take at trick taking which like you i don't have a inordinate amount of experience with growing up i i, I have a few trick takers that i do recommend which are a bit unconventional but this one had such a buzz behind it i really didn't know what to expect well i suppose i did expect a little (laughs) bit more complexity than this it was actually remarkably playable and you taught it well and we got into it and it played pretty darn smoothly i appreciated that there was uh, a kind of a there was a kind of a spatial element to the game that it's not just numbers that you had to keep in your head because of that color tracker was there. You could quite literally see what had been played, what has been played as more plays get made, the options dwindle and dwindle. So you have to be much more selective about what you can play. And at some points you won't be able to play a thing, and at which point you will create a paradox. Yes, like I should have said, there there are more cards. Like there, there are five twos and only four suits. So obviously, if someone <laughs> need only has twos left in their hand, and all of the twos have been like all the the four colored twos have been accounted for, and obviously something has gone very wrong in the timeline. Uh, you of course paradox. You get negative points for that round instead of positive points. Right. I got hit with a paradox. I think you might have as well. <laughs> yes, and, yeah. um, I was doing fairly well most of that game, but I think that par- that one paradox knocked me off of the contendership. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't you know feel so bad. I thought that was really clever. And it makes me want to play it again, because I would play with that in mind a lot more in the upcoming plays. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's a simple, relatively simple to teach, but but there, there are some strategies. It's going to take a few games to really wrap your head around, specifically in trying to avoid <laughs> paradoxing. And there's a whole area control game because you're putting tokens on the board and you get points for having like large groups on the, on the board in one space. So yeah, a whole little area, m- mini area control game going on at the same time. So yeah, it's I've already played it a couple of times again with uh, sort of an after a bigger game at home. So I think it's going to be a nice little capper to, to game nights here for a little while. Yeah. Very, very clever. Uh, like another game I've played uh, or other forms of trick taking games. It has a portion of sort of betting. So basically you're predicting mm-hmm. that you will score this many, uh, take this many tricks. And if you do score that many tricks, then you earn the bonus points of, how many adjacent tricks you've played on the tracking board. So that part of it, I really got into (laughs) and it really paid off most of the time. Sometimes it didn't quite. I like that. Excellent. Well, let's play some more again soon. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to hold my uh, trick taking game suggestions till next time, because maybe we'll have a trick taking game episode. Absolutely. Down for it. Yeah, okay. Another game that I played uh, that was fun, certainly Cat in the Box. Talked about Libertalia. I played uh, another game of 
another trick-taking game, actually. Let's continue on with that conversation. I played another trick-taking game that day. It actually might have been the last game of my con, but I'll mention it anyway, because mechanically it's similar to the last uh, one we talked about. I played a game called The Crew, mm-hmm. Deep Sea something. The, Deep it's sea the underwater adventures? one. No, that's, that's what I mentioned. <laughs> yeah. yeah, something like that. <laughs> it's the underwater one, you know, the other ones in space, whatever. It's The Crew, and I had, uh, I had not a very good experience with huh. The Crew. The first time I tried to play it, I might have played it with you. It was an online. Yeah. And the online iteration of it, it did not go so well. Maybe it's because the game wasn't explained very well. I didn't fully follow, but basically we just failed and failed and failed <laughs> and failed. It just wasn't working. Well, it's a cooperative trick-taking game with limited communication rules, right? And so I think you really need to be there in person to yeah, take the most advantage of that limited communication. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it was funny because I was playing with a uh, player who taught the game, obviously. It was Matt, uh, who I knew, uh, and he explained it very well and was more experienced with trick-taking games in this game, so obviously he knew what he was doing. Uh, I knew trick-taking games, but was relatively new to them. And and the third person we played with was really into trick-taking games. I think his name was Neil. I just met him at the con. Funny enough, he really understood trick-taking games, but his experience with trick-taking games actually actively worked against him (laughs) because he was having to fight every iota of his being, (laughs) of his experience Uh against those those inclinations because he was trying to win on his own, not to fulfill the particular missions that we were on. And of course, that's the unique twist of the crew that makes it so distinct from uh, a normal trick-taking game. So I, I understood it more this time. I felt like I got a good grasp on it. We played a couple of rounds and we did fairly well. Although I think we were, we were being a little bit nice with each other <laughs> about the communication. Excellent. Yeah. Do, I'm curious to try like that one in person. I, I, I also had a mixed feeling with it online, but I think mostly just due to the, the dynamics being off online i think you really need that in-person presence to, to read the other players yeah maybe even with cameras on or something like that maybe, playing online, yeah that might work better but yeah it has a little bit of that a little bit of, of that difficulty of communication like hanabi style you know that one yes yeah yeah, you want to communicate, but you can only communicate so much <laughs> so but you, you find a way like the tricky is i i, I guess is Working within the spirit of the game, finding ways of, of making little suggestions. <laughs> Definitely a nice twist on trick-taking if you have a little bit of experience with it. And uh, I don't know how many more games you played, but the last one uh, I I can think of is uh, one I played with you. Uh, yeah, so we played Firenze, a, uh, an older Euro game. I'm not sure what year it came out, but it, it, it has definitely does have the look of an older sort of retro euro with the, the wooden t- pieces and <laughs> the score tracks there very very uh, beige medieval uh U- european town but yeah really really interesting mechanic you you've got these wooden uh roof tiles you're stacking into towers so it has an interesting little um t- tactile element there but they sort of come out of the bag in random assortments 
and you're kind of bidding on who can build towers of, of different colors first. Uh, so definitely a lot of interaction in, in trying to race each other to, with, with the different colors and, and, and bluff each other out into what, uh, what, what color you're trying to prioritize there. Yeah, I got to say, I had not played Firenze before, and when the person pulled it off the shelf, I really was worried. <laughs> I thought, well, it, it really looks as dull as dishwater, this this game. <laughs> I got to say, at least it's not the, you know, the ominous-looking face of a white dude gla- glowering <laughs> down at you. At least it's, it's a bit of a scene, but unfortunately, the scene is a, a couple of white people uh basically like presumably an architect holding out the scroll of a tower scrawled out in front of a tower of the same design for some reason because the tower is already built so maybe they're <laughs> copying it i don't know and then some random woman just hugging the the architect so i don't know what this is telling me or what story this is trying to <laughs> convey but basically you're a very good boy for making this it, tracing of this tower. <laughs> they want you to build these giant towering edifices to masculinity, let's just say, <laughs> uh, and put them out there on display. Yeah, and and the mecha- mechanically, the map looks even more dull. Basically, it's just grids, columns, numbers. But there was something fun about it. Now, obviously, it's a bit of it's a classic. But there was a lot of fun to be had in the very bottom of the game board, which is this display of cards that come out in a random fashion. And there's these building bricks, I guess, that are randomly apportioned with different sets of colored bricks. So that part of it was really nice and interactive. Yeah, it was a little bit of a, a player-driven market there. The cards all have different effects, both good and bad. There are some cards that are just objectively bad, but tiles tend to accumulate on them more. And so then there's this fascinating decision point about when, when do the number of tiles on there hit this sort of inflection point that it's, st- it's worth grabbing even for the downside on the card. <laughs> yeah, the number or the color, right? Yes, yeah. So the, the 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 because the tiles on there are all different colors, and they might have different values to different players depending on on what color towers you're trying to build, and or who you're trying to beat to a particular color. Like if if two players are trying to build red at the same time, it becomes this real arms race. Is that you you might be more inclined to to grab those worst cards just to to to, to beat them in that. So yeah, it's a really fascinating. Um, dynamics there it was extremely punishing i found and there is quite a bit of randomness in the way those cards come out uh i mean i i, I came last by quite a large margin so <laughs> a little biased there uh, I, I did have a good time but it, it's definitely uh shows its age in terms of the balance there i thought it was actually pretty pretty interesting because you're always making cost benefit analysis is analyses uh like you said there is randomness in what cards come out and there's double randomness in what colored tiles get placed on yes. top of those cards yeah. but where the player interaction comes from is what cards get drafted off of that list and furthermore you can basically take a brick of your choice from any of the piles if you replace it with three bricks, any three bricks from your own supply. And I think you could even alter that with certain card powers, but that made it interesting because 
you're obviously sacrificing something, but it could be to the benefit of someone else. <laughs> because obviously, a bigger pile, even on a worse card, is eventually going to get more and more attractive. And then there's that tipping point. So I, I, I really love that sort of dimensionality to a thing. Like, this card is not worth the same thing to me as it is to you. So I have to think of my about myself or think about them more and maybe potentially deny them something. So there's that aspect of it as well. I didn't think there'd be so much interactivity with all this open information because yeah. obviously you can see what the players are building towards. Uh, I think you can put down one, two, one or two bricks in a project in a, one of your towers for free per turn. And then you also, you can put more than that, but you have to pay more. So maybe to put three bricks down, you have to pay two additional bricks on top of the ones you put down. So and as then, I say, the bricks is also the currency. Like there's just the one yeah, currency is just colored right. bricks. You use some bricks to pay to build other bricks. And yeah, everything is bricks all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how much do you get rid of? You could reserve some of those colors to use on a later turn, but if you want to get ahead of that guy over there, you have to sacrifice some bricks to put down more than they are going to put down. So really juicy decisions there. So I actually ended up really enjoying this game. Uh-huh. There was there was that one card that um that came out that sort of forced you all to build a, a, a little mini tower that felt very much like one of those mandatory quests in uh Lords of Waterdeep. And that that just through like this the, the the time it came out was just like the worst timing for for me personally due to just cascading luck uh so i think that card if you just take that card out and i think i think the rest of it would be pretty solid <laughs> yeah it was it was certainly uneven not nearly as smooth uh smooth with its edges smoothed off like a lot of the games nowadays are um so swingy uh, to say the least uh, i was actually conversely behind for a lot of that game but i ended up coming in second as well i think on that one so uh some of my investments did eventually pay off so uh yeah you know i i guess uh, i just like games of that generation more that's kind of when i got into games so it, i definitely have some nostalgia for that swinginess yeah well, I, I saw the designer is andreas steading who also designed hansa teutonica which was one of my real highlights of shucks last year and i've been looking to, to track that down and, and and revisit that one sometime soon yeah, I haven't played uh, Hansa Teutonica, but I did look for it on the uh, at the library, so I would appreciate it if uh, you could teach me sometime. Yeah, another, another look looks like a, a really old school Euro, but incredible amount of player uh, dynamism. Uh, in, in it, it feels very modern uh, for what looks like a very old school Euro. Uh, so yeah, I would like love to play that again. Awesome. Well, that about covers the list of games that I, I played while I was there. It was a great con overall. I really appreciate what uh, the um, the organizers, Andrea and Blair, obviously, of 
Adventure Dice. That's their yes, uh, claim that's to right. fame. Uh, they also organize this con. This is Blair and Andrea's first time uh, running them show themselves. Uh, so new, new new organizational team, new venue. They've all largely come together in the last few months due to some uh, scheduling conflicts with the previous venue. Uh, so without going too much into the weeds, uh, I think it all came together pretty well. Um, bias aside, <laughs> there were obviously a little bit of um, some teething issues uh, table space was very much at a premium uh, that we hope to improve next year but uh, it was a fantastic community uh, everyone was, was super friendly and uh, and yeah it went off most of the hitch <laughs> yeah. Andrea and Blair you and Dennis and the rest of the team did a, a fantastic job I really enjoyed myself yeah it was a little bit tight in there at the peak hours but hey maybe that's a good sign it just means that more people are into this hobby and that you'll have a great turnout next year as yeah, well. it was so fantastic to see all the local designers. It's a real thriving uh, design community up here now. Uh, you mentioned a few earlier. There was also uh, Quinn Brander, our previous guest, was showing off Rebuilding Seattle. Uh, there was a Kickstarter, a, a game that's on Kickstarter right now, uh, an Age Contrived. It's a real big box, uh, fancy looking game that's uh, getting a lot of hype right now. So go check that out. And yeah, I'm really proud of what uh, Vancouver is putting out there in the gaming scene. Yeah, absolutely. It's always encouraging to see as someone with an interesting game design that, you know, people keep on going and people keep putting out good games and uh, also great to go to a con like this because you can catch up on games you might have missed in the past few years. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not, not so much for me, but uh, I'm, I'm just there to facilitate everyone else having a great time. So hopefully you and I can play some games <laughs> soon. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, as you know, that is what we do on this here Omni Gamers Club podcast. Well, I'm glad we covered so much. We actually filled filled a full-length episode right there. <laughs> Not so many. Yeah, so we will be talking about Hi-Fi Rush on our next episode. I'm polishing off that game shortly. Uh, so if you still have a chance to get in some some questions and comments, re-plugging, I, I do have some, some videos and, and content out there for Deep Dive and Point City, the two games out from Flat Out Games on Kickstarter right now. Uh, so you can check that out. out I'm mostly active on like on TikTok and, and Instagram right now. The Twitter is uh, dying a slow death. <laughs> so, so you can check the, those out at, at Board Game Feast. Right. Uh, speaking of Twitter, you can follow us at Omni Gamers Club if you still are on there. Uh, I should say that uh, I haven't put out a shout out for myself in a while, but I uh, jumped onto Instagram a short while ago and um, as a uh, board game specific uh, account there, you can find me as Omni Gamer Mark. Uh, you'll probably see me in the comments of Board Game Feast uh, <laughs> or uh, or this or that. So uh, yeah, hit me up there. Uh, I haven't put much up much but i definitely put up my photos of tctc from this past uh weekend and of course you can hit us at omnigamersclub at gmail.com if you have any tips requests uh any sort of feedback for the future yes yeah please, uh, please do we'd, we'd love to have people uh joining the club and playing along all right well i think we had a good discussion a good feast of games that we got to discuss today a real uh, mixed uh, bag a real buffet um so on that note until next time please do have a balanced diet of gaming <laughs>